0: You're listening to the Theology Mom Podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Happy Tuesday, wherever you are. And thank you for joining me for tonight's conversation. I've entitled tonight's teaching, Christian Parenting in the Age of Woke Culture. So when we think about the question of Christian parenting right now, big picture, I think what we have to think about is that we are teaching our children to swim against the tide. We have to have a base assumption from the beginning that we are teaching our kids to be counter-cultural. We are teaching them that they are going to be different than the culture. And I can't emphasize this enough because when I was growing up, And, you know, when Monique was growing up, there was a certain expectation that our parents had that the culture would provide an amount of reinforcement of good values to us, you know, that and that the values that my parents were trying, that my mom was trying to instill in me, um, you know, of being a good person and treating others with kindness and respect and and to treat one another in a certain kind of a way um, that there was a certain reinforcement from the culture that of shared values. Now I don't want to paint the picture in an overly rosy way to say that like American culture is the same thing as Christian culture, but I think that we can agree that 30 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, the culture was much more aligned with our beliefs as, as Christians than it is today. And so parenting right now is in a time of transition for Christians. And you're, we're kind of having to learn some things on the fly. We're kind of having to learn some things <clears throat> very quickly. And I can see that based on the type of feedback that I'm getting um, in my DMs, from parents of how do I handle this kind of new set of challenges that is emerging in the culture. And so when we think about the messages that our kids are getting, you know, our kids on the one hand, we're telling them you're a Christian, but then the culture is giving them all of these messages for how to, what to think about Christians and how to be a good person The culture is telling us that to be a a historic Christian is to be a bigot, Um, that white people are racist. Christianity is a religion of oppression, that in order to be a good person, you need to do the work of anti-racism and repent of your whiteness. We get so many letters at the Center for Biblical Unity from parents who are saying their children are canceling them um, and no longer communicate with them because they believe that they are racist. So when we think about Christian parenting, the big picture issue that I want you to think about this whole talk in is in the context of we have to be countercultural. We have to be parenting in such a way from the beginning that we are explaining to our children you are not going to probably be like your friends. You are going to be different than them, and our family is going to conduct itself in a certain kind of a way, and that is probably going to be different than most of your friends, and that you're probably going to have to start that messaging early and often. So that's sort of the big picture here. Now, the foundation, helping our children develop a biblical view of their identity and I've put there their ethnic identity because we are going to pay a little bit special attention to that issue tonight. But um, in, in, it's in the broader conversation of helping our children establish a biblical identity for themselves. Now, when we think about the messaging that's coming from the culture about our children's identity, I see kind of at least three things happening. The the big picture value right now in our culture when it comes to identity is that we want to find or create our authentic self, that each of us has the power to create ourselves, that pretty much everything that we have been taught up until now is a social construct. And we can deconstruct nearly everything about ourselves, Um, our race and ethnicity, puts us in a certain tribe and we view other people in their tribes according to their ethnicity. Um, Gender can be deconstructed. Um, We're seeing a skyrocketing rate of rise of LGBT identification among young people. Young people, very young in school are now being asked to declare their pronouns and you can construct or deconstruct your gender to become your authentic self. We are getting letters nearly daily from Christian parents who are saying, my child is now telling me they're pansexual or asexual or bisexual. And this is coming to them from the culture. The third thing I see happening is deconstruction. Um, Our young people are being drilled with messages to deconstruct their Christianity, to deconstruct whiteness, to deconstruct colonialism, and that these are um, identities that they should have nothing to do with. And so these are just some of the messages that our culture is sending our young people about who they are. And I like to say that the culture is discipling our children. So we often think of the word discipleship as being something that Christians do. But our culture, social media and TikTok and Twitter are all uh, socializing our children, but they are really discipling our children. They are telling our children, what, is, what does it mean to be a good person? How do I become my most authentic self? And these voices are coming out them all the time. So that is there. Now, if we're gonna think counterculturally, what does scripture have to say about our identity? Well, the first thing that the scripture says is that we are image bearers. Um, and this is true of every human person. All humans are created in the image of God, and this means that all humans have intrinsic value, dignity, and worth. And what I mean by intrinsic is that it is built in. It's part of being a human. We don't get our worth because the government tells us we have dignity. We don't get our worth because the majority says these type of people have dignity. No, we get our value, dignity, and worth because we are created in the image of God. Men and women were created with a purpose to rule and to reign over God's creation together. And I love this picture from the Chronicles of Narnia, and you see the four children there on the thrones. And I love the depiction of this because, you know, they are said in in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to be the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and that they were. Kings and queens, they were created to reign. And that truly is our foundational identity. It says in Genesis chapter one, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over creation. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the creation. This is our foundational identity, that we are image bearers. And I want to unpack that a little bit more, and I'm calling this our creation identity. We are image bearers. We also created either male or female. From the first page of the Bible, there does seem to be sort of this binary situation set up that from the created order, we are created male and female. Now I'm setting aside for a minute the um, a number of intersex people. that's a small percentage of the population. and that's a different conversation. but but the vast majority of people we're going to talk about is either male or female or clear. Binary issue, and so that confronts our our culture directly. That directly comes against the cultural narrative. So when we're engaging with our kids, we're going to have to explain to them that part of their creation identity is that of being either a male or a female, and that that how is how God has created them to be. Now, that's not to say that sometimes things happen and there's a struggle and. And there's things to work through and everything, but, but we can rest assured that God doesn't make any mistakes when it comes to this issue. So we are going to have to really build that identity in our kids from the beginning, because the culture is directly assaulting their creation identity. Secondly, we see in our creation identity, the idea of marriage. And family, that that Adam and Eve were told to multiply and fill the earth. This is part of God's destiny for us, that we were created to create. We were created to have families. The family is the foundation of God's society. Now, again, I don't want to put down single people. I'm not intending to do that. I'm not saying they're less than human I'm just saying that the, that there's something in our anatomy that this is what we were created to be, that we were created to procreate, and that we're seeing what's happening in our culture is assaulting marriage. This is another aspect of our creation identity. People are told to hook up, shack up, um, engage in all kinds of prom- promiscuity. Marriages are down. Children birth rates are down. And so if we are going to truly live out our creation identity, we want to think about encouraging our children to get married, have families, and that is part of God's good design. A third aspect of our creation identity is that of work. We want to think Christianly about our vocation. We were created to rule and to reign, and that is our work. And that work is something that is there from the beginning. It is from the creation. Work is not a result of the fall. Work is not a result of the curse. Now, the curse makes our work more challenging at times, and it makes it more difficult. But we were created to work, to rule the earth, to subdue the earth. That is our creation destiny. And in the new creation, we will reign with Christ and we will do and and live up to our true human potential. We will co-rule and reign with Christ for eternity. So our first creation identity is that of being created in his image, being rulers and reigners over the earth to multiply and fill the earth. Number two, our second identity is that of a child. Of God. If your child is a Christian, then they're going to need to have repeated reinforcement that their primary foundational identity is in Christ. Their primary identity is as a child of the Most High God. This is very important because, again, our culture wants to hijack this identity from us. It says in Colossians chapter three, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Jew or Gentile circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So once we are in Christ, even as a child, We are a new creation, and that becomes our identity. We are children of God. We are brothers and sisters of each other. That is the ground of who we are. So we have now these two identities. We're human. We have our creation identity, and we have, if we know Christ, if we are in a covenant relationship with him, then we have our identity in Christ, a third identity would be our ethnic heritage and culture. This ethnic identity and cultural heritage can be explored and enjoyed, but those things take a backseat to our identity, as we just saw in Colossians chapter 3. So our children need to know that they are intentionally created by God. There's no mistake about how God made them, including their skin color and identity. And if you had asked me, you know, sometime back that I would be giving a talk that included this point, I'd be like, why do we need to have a conversation about this? But it is important right now because there are some ethnicities that our culture is telling us that some ethnicities are better than others or worse than others, or some are more valuable, some are less valuable, some are wicked. And so we need to help our children Think biblically about who they are. It says in Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is how God has made you. And in Acts 17, the apostle Paul says from one man, he made all the nations. He made all the the ethnos, the ethnic people that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So whoever you are, whatever your ethnicity is, we need to understand you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that needs to um, be communicated to our children. So we don't buy into messages that says, well, I'm just a white person, you know, and we don't buy into messages that use racial slurs against Another race. Rather, we teach and train our children that all ethnicities are beautiful and that all cultures have something to maybe teach us or reflect the image of God. Now, we measure those things against scripture. We measure those things at using scripture as our plumb line to determine what is good, true, and beautiful. We don't just exalt a culture simply because it's a culture, that's what the world does. But we can look at a culture and enjoy a culture when it reflects God's values. Um, Our friend Sam Say had this tweet a while back. He said, don't be less white and don't be less black. This was in response to the Coca-Cola training where their diversity office was telling white people to be less white. Uh, Sam says, don't be less of anything that God has created. I am fearfully and wonderfully black. If you're white, you're fearfully and wonderfully white. Whatever your skin color is, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Rejoice. And again, this ethnic identity is is something we can explore, we can enjoy. We can enjoy each other's foods and customs and peculiar and funny ways of being. Monique and I have many conversations about our cultural differences, and we can help each other. I, I like to educate her about hillbilly ways. And the, the, the things <laughs> that, um, you know, that, that I enjoy. Um, and she educates me about things related to black culture and little, little things. And we can enjoy that in each other. And we don't have to be offended about it. It's just from a place of learning. But again, we just have to have things in the proper order. So our three identities that we looked at that are scriptural is our creation identity of being an image bearer. The second one is as a child of God. And the third one is our ethnic and cultural heritage. All right, so let's get into kind of the second movement of the talk here. We're going to just consider a few practical questions uh, to help us as parents to have conversations with our kids and help to address some of these things as they come up. Now, one of the more common questions that I get and I, I think it's like maybe it's usually not this blunt, but it's lurking in the background of parent concerns. And that is a question of am I a racist? How do I know if I'm a racist? Because and I think the the concern is parents feel like I don't want to raise racist kids. So if I'm a racist, I wanna, you know, check my heart and make sure that I'm not so that my kids don't turn out to be racist. And I think there's a level of paranoia right now about this, especially for those of us with white skin, because the culture is telling us a message about our white skin that is fairly negative and that our culture of whiteness is wicked and it is something that needs to be gotten rid of. And so there's a lot of confusion and we have received more than one letter from parents whose children come home crying because they have been told by classmates, you're just a white person. Being a white person is bad, it's evil. And so kids themselves are getting very confused. And so we need to help our kids think about who they are through Jesus' eyes, who they have been created to be, and also to think about big picture of You know, how to really know, like, what are some objective criteria to know if we are in fact racist? Now, just to kind of set a little bit of a scriptural tone here for this part of the conversation, we have to understand that scripture um, describes that one of the features of a culture, especially in the end times, is that we will see nations rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And the word nation there is ethnos. So more literally translated, it would be that ethnicities will rise against ethnicities and kingdoms against kingdoms and kingdoms would be more analogous to what we call nations. But either way, we should expect an amount of hostility between groups. That's, that's what I get from that. And it is, it is one of the features that Jesus admonishes us to look out for. Um, especially part of the birth pains toward the end. So if we think about these matters, we, we need to understand and understand the times in which we live. Now, I don't know if we're living in the end times, but what I do know is that ethnic tensions, at least in our country, are definitely ramping up. So just noticing um, that Jesus is warning about that, I can see that manifestation in our current reality. Now, when we think about uh, what the Bible has to say about race, what's interesting is, again, that the Bible is utterly unconcerned about people's skin color. It was really a a non-issue for them. There was, in the Old Testament, there was Jews and everybody else. (laughs) There was Jews and Gentiles. Those were the two groups under the Old Covenant. Once we get into the New Covenant, the two groups become those who are in Adam or in Christ. That's how God thinks about us. Okay. So if we're going to renew our minds and we're going to think about humans biblically and we're going to use biblical terminology, we're, we're not going to think first and foremost about skin color. If we're looking at the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, we're going to think Jews and Gentiles. If we're thinking about the New Covenant, We're going to think about in Adam or in Christ. Now, again, the Bible does occasionally make reference to where people live, their location, their language, their geography, but the Bible is not concerned with skin color. So, for example, one of the men that, or the man that the Romans have uh, carried Jesus's cross, it says it was Simon of Cyrene. Well, Cyrene is a city in modern-day Libya, it's in North Africa, so could have had darker skin, but the Bible doesn't include that detail. It's not concerned with that. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, he was Ethiopian. He was probably had dark skin like Ethiopians, but the Bible doesn't give us that detail. Now, it does mention his his, his nationality, that where he was from, his country, that he was in service to his queen. But, but the issue of race, this is what um, we hear in, in our culture today, is a social construct. It really wasn't a huge way of categorizing or organizing people until the 1600s or 1700s. So when we're going to think about things biblically, again, we're getting countercultural because our culture wants us to obsess about skin color right now. But that's not the biblical lens. The biblical lens is in Adam in or in Christ. That's how God thinks about us. Okay, so let's think about the term racism. Racism, according to the Bible, is not a word. There is no word in scripture that says, thou shalt not be a racist. Rather, it is some combination of at least Three sins. And so here are the three sins. It might be ethnic favoritism. Racism involves showing favoritism toward a group or disadvantaging a group based on their ethnicity or skin color. But we know repeatedly in scripture that God's justice standards is that everyone should be judged according to the same standard or equal weights and measures. God doesn't show ethnic partiality in this way it's either in Adam or in Christ there was dehumanizing words sometimes we use racial slurs or we tell racial jokes Um, we uh, got a a letter just today of somebody calling Monique a racial slur Um, and this would be a violation of what scripture says of violating the image of God in people in James chapter 3 that we don't use our words to dehumanize others Racism can often involves hate, hatred in our heart that we harbor toward others based on their skin color. And again, that can be any people, any group of people with any skin color toward any other group of people with any other skin color. Okay. So that's not just a black, white issue. That's all the races um, can engage in all of these sins. So then returning to our question of, am I a racist? Well, with this definition in hand, here are some some ways to help us think this through. Just because you make a mistake in a conversation or somebody gets offended by your question doesn't automatically mean you're a racist. I have made mistakes in conversations. I have made mistakes in conversations with Monique. And she will give me the feedback. Do you know how that sounds? <laughs> Can you see how that is if we play that all the way out? But that doesn't mean that I'm a racist. To be a racist is to make a declaration over uh, somebody's identity. Um, now it might mean that I have some things to learn. It might mean that you know I need some help. Um, but be open to and even invite feedback about your biases and prejudices. And again. This is an everyone issue. Everyone needs this help at times. I've given that feedback to Monique when she has said things about white people. Would you consider how that that sounds? And ultimately, what we want to do is ask the Lord to reveal what needs to be revealed and to trust him to do that. So if there is racial partiality that I'm engaging in in my heart, I'm trusting that as I talk to the Lord, he's going to reveal that if that's a problem. Um, I don't need to engage in this this constant self-examination that never ends um, over this sin. It's just as like, I don't constantly examine my heart about whether or not I want to murder someone. Now, am I harboring anger and bitterness in my heart? You know, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to reveal that to me. And that can be a pathway to a deeper problem it can be a pathway to murder if if you hang on to that 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 anger and let it turn to bitterness over time definitely we see that in scripture but we can trust the holy spirit to reveal to us what needs to be revealed and we can confess that sin to each other and we can receive jesus's forgiveness but it is not doesn't need to be looked upon as a stain that we will never get rid of and it is not like the unpardonable sin or the worst sin in the world it's a sin it's a it's a difficult sin and but it's a sin right now that our culture is absolutely obsessed with okay the second question I want to talk about is how can I help younger children understand the roots of race and racism this is a very important question because many of our children are confused by what they hear on the news and so how can we help them get, put it into some words to help them understand what's happening? Well, first, we want to give kind of a definition of racism. Racism is giving people unequal treatment based on their color. We might say something like, even though people may look different, humans are really all the same. In other words, we all have dignity, value, and worth. Um, we could say something like racism was used to keep people in their place in the past. Historically, in the past, um, race and a color of our skin was used to separate people out and to assign value to them. And that is is deeply problematic and, and not something that we want to be doing as God's people, because that's not how... God sees us. Another question we could think about is why are people so angry? Our kids might be asking us this question when they see rioting and looting on the media. Why are people so angry? Well, here's a few things we can help them think through. People haven't always treated black and brown people fairly. We can talk about the history. Some people believe that black and brown people are still being treated unfairly. And we can talk about where some of those examples are. Some people are experiencing feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, and despair. This, we have to help our kids begin to put into words some of what is happening in the world so that they can begin to make sense of it. But we also need to help them deal with their inner world of what is happening inside of them. So they might ask you some version of the question, what do I do with the fear? Mom, Dad, I feel afraid. So here are some some things we might consider talking to them about. First, we want to invite our kids to share their fears. that that they can share their fears with us. They can tell us. We can be that safe place for them. We can acknowledge their fears. This is a scary time for all of us. You might say, I even struggle sometimes with feeling afraid. You can ask them questions about what they may have seen or heard that is making them feel afraid. Maybe something happened to them at school. Maybe they saw something on the news or in social media. Try to see if you can get them to verbalize what they have seen that is in particular making them feel fear, feel fearful. You can speak truth into their fears and affirm truth through the word of God. You know, now is a time to really double down on your Bible study as a family. And we're going to talk more about that in the third movement of this talk, we're talking about solutions and a way forward. Pray with your children. Encourage them to use their voice in prayer. Encourage them to pray as well. Don't don't do all the heavy lifting when it comes to the praying. Um, Let them begin to use their voice to pray. Another tip is don't buy into this critical race theory terminology. I see so many well-meaning parents do this. When you say things like, well, I'm just a white person or I can't stand for truth because I'm white. That's buying into the framework. Do everything you can to resist the framework, to resist the words. Use biblical words instead. Um, talk about things biblically. Don't fall into the trap of using the CRT words. Get solid on your doctrine when it comes to racial unity in Christ. This will help your children deal with their fear because you can counteract it with the word of God. Read the word with your children. Pray with them. We're going to talk more about them. And then teaching your children to think of themselves as a religious minority. Such an important talk with our kids. The fourth grader comes home with woke terminology nearly daily. It's been good to walk through it with her. That's good. It's it's going to be, um, again, that the big picture is you're going to have to be very countercultural you're going to have to be um, very intentional in teaching your children certain mindsets which is actually the perfect segue to the third movement of tonight's teaching which is a vision for the christian family and this is what i want to get into here the big question is what will your role be to contend And and the the literal definition of the word contend in Greek is to engage in a strenuous defense for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints for the next generation. This is not passive language. Contending is, is battle language. And I think that many Christians need to get more in battle mode and that doesn't mean that we we need to, um, you know, be hypocritical or to to be unfair, but we do need to understand that there's a spiritual battle on our hands, and when we look at Ephesians six or Jude three, there there the language there is that of going into battle, and so we have to understand if we are going to stand as a countercultural voice for the christian worldview we're going to have to think more in the mindset of contending okay we cannot think primarily in the in the mindset of how do i avoid conflict how do i be nice our mindset has to be how do i contend how do i go to battle how do we do this well, we're going to have to understand our role as Christian parents, our role and responsibility that God has appointed us as parents to be the primary influence in our children's lives. It says in Deuteronomy chapter six, hero, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So it starts with you, the parent. These things have to be in your heart. You have to be educated. You have to be trained. And then you shall teach them, your children diligently. And you shall talk of them. These commandments, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, all of your messaging to your children is that of who they are. They are different. They are not like the world. Okay. Well, it has to start with us. We have to know who we are. Now, I know that for many of us, we're in a situation where we're sending our children to public schools and that becomes the primary voice in their life. Now, those parents are going to have to be even almost more diligent about how they are teaching their children because those children are being um, thoroughly indoctrinated by Caesar. They are being thoroughly trained to think a certain way. And so we have to know that in that situation, that that is what comes with it. And so we're going to have to contend for the faith with that in mind. So here's some things that we want to think about. The first is that of protect, to reduce media exposure. And, And by this, I mean, you know, maybe you just need to turn off the TV in your house. Maybe you don't have the news on night and day. Maybe you are not actually buying your 10-year-old a smartphone. Maybe you are doing some things that don't involve screens. Um, and so just reducing their, their exposure. Now, people do not like my position on screens, and I get the, the emails. But look, trust me, if your child has access to a device, you, you don't know what they're doing. You think you do, but you just don't got another letter this week from somebody said, I had no idea my child was doing this. They've been doing it for a couple of years and they're 12 and it's like devastating. Letting your kids have access to these devices is dangerous. And I wish I could get Christian parents to take this more seriously, but I know that you, every time I bring this up, people say, write me letters. They say, not my kid, not my kid. My kid knows better. My kid, we've had the talk. It'll be fine. They know better. I don't know what to tell you is then people write to me and say, you were right. And so it is is just do what you can to reduce or limit media exposure. Be more diligent. Yeah. So. If you can consider homeschooling, co-ops, Christian schooling, some sort of alternatives. Um, if you feel like you can't do homeschooling, try to get with some other families, make a co-op, um, talk to your pastor, see if there's any teachers in your congregation who are retired who or who have recently quit because uh, they're sick of it. They're sick of the politics. Start a co-op in your church. Try to be resourceful if you can, uh, to think creatively for other options. But do, if you can, if you're able to, to do some things to um, explore other options, that is helpful. Second, equip yourself. Um, you're going to have to do some things. You're probably going to have to invest some time learning, reading, um, listening to podcasts, investing some, some time. Now you may think I don't have time. Um, you probably have some places you could squeeze it in. You probably have some, some maybe hobbies that maybe you could reduce your time on so that you can invest in, in learning about your faith, but you're going to have to make sure that you are up to speed on things and you are going to have to invest that time. If you don't have time to read, listen to podcasts. You can do that while you're cleaning the house, while you're vacuuming, while you're washing the dishes. There's ways to do that. Number three is disciple. Um, Engage in daily Bible reading and discussion as a family. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low. And one of the reasons that so many people deconstruct from their faith is they honestly have not read the whole Bible. They don't really know what it's about. They've read and then they've heard little snippets here and there, but they don't have the total picture. What we do in our family is we have a daily time, Monday through Friday, of sitting down for 30 minutes as a family, reading the Bible together, discussing it. We take turns reading. We take turns leading the discussion. And it is our way of trying to disciple our children. And so you want to do that. And, and you know, mom and dad ask questions sometimes and put the kids on the spot. And um, my husband does an awesome job of teaching all of us and leading us in those conversations. So this is, this is just vital in, in, in your discipleship with your kids. Having worldview discussions as you're going about your life, um, engaging with your kids in practical applications every day about um, what's happening in their world. So do you have a plan? Do you have a way of teaching your children? Do you have confidence that your teenager— could articulate God's definition of marriage, sex, race, gender, abortion, love, and justice using the Bible? And could they cite secular research that backs up their biblical position? I mean, that's a a two-year curriculum right there, just daily chopping away at it, going through the scriptures on these topics and helping your kids begin to develop a biblical worldview on these issues that our culture is wanting to hijack and redefine. And I'm super excited to make a huge announcement about a conference that I am helping to co sponsor with Women in Apologetics. It's called the Discipleship Begins at Home Conference. It's going to be in July, it's a virtual conference. I'm going to be speaking at it. My friend Monique's going to be speaking at it. My friend Elizabeth Arbanovitz is going to be speaking at it. But I am so stoked to introduce you to my friend, Pastor Jeremy Bannister, who's going to be doing the plenary sessions. And this is a guy who saw his youth group kids deconstructing away from their faith year after year. And he thought, I can't take this. I'm a youth pastor and I can't take it. I'm investing all this time in my kids. And then I watch them go to college and deconstruct. So he started teaching them apologetics, thinking that, well, this will solve the problem. And then he still saw high attrition rates. He's like, what am I missing? And he is going to teach us th- what he has been doing in his church in teaching parents how to disciple their kids. This is the most practical A, B, C's, one, two, threes of how to disciple your kids. So if you're like, I don't even know where to start. Pastor Jeremy Banisher is going to walk us through the nuts and bolts of how to do this. And I've listened to his talks and they are so helpful. And I am excited to have this partnership with Jeremy and Women in Apologetics. This is not going to be a conference about theory. This is going to be a conference, like a how-to conference, how to disciple your kids. And as part of the registration, you're going to get like a, I don't even know what to call it. It's like a its like a mini book, a mini e-book with a plan. He calls it a blueprint for discipleship for your kids with action items and how-tos. And this is how you're going to do it. And um, Monique's going to do a talk on... Um, how to disciple your kids um, related to ethnicity or Elizabeth Urbanovitz is going to do a couple of talks on how to disciple your kids on worldview issues. Um, this is going to be an amazing and very unique conference. So the the registration is going to open next week at women and apologetics. So I'm just, you guys are in on the, the teaser right here of that this is coming. So mark the dates, July 22nd and 23rd, the 23rd and 24th, the discipleship begins at home conference. I can't wait. Okay, we're going to wrap this up here on number four. We're going to look at our fourth principle of discipleship at home, and that is create culture and community. This is so important because if we're going to have our kids thinking and acting cross um counterculturally they need friends <laughs> like they need to feel like i'm not the only weird person and so you're going to have to find some other families to be in community with who are trying to parent their kids in a similar fashion as you and and i'm really hoping that local churches will get a vision for being more than a church but also being a culture and to create a counterculture within their communities for their kids and that the kids can serve together, go on mission trips together. You as a family go on mission trips together, but finding other like-minded families to enter into partnership with that you can begin to walk in life together. Finally, we need to help our children think about themselves as a religious minority you're going to have to help your kids understand what your family is going to stand for and what you are not going to stand for. So going back to the earlier question about the pronouns, you and and your wife are going to have to have a conversation about what your tolerance level is for that. You know, if, if you're telling your kids to comply with, with um, sharing their pronouns and abiding by other people's, pronouns and entering into that kind of cultural fiction, um, what will the impact of that be? How will that work for them? What confusion will that cause? Um, Can you have an an adequate number of conversations to overcome that? Um, These are things that have a lot of variables and are going to be highly personal to each family and um, with the help of the Holy Spirit. I think that many families are going to have to think about the future about um, job situations. More and more jobs are requiring um, allyship statements. And we were talking to one gentleman recently that his bonus structure in his sales job was now being tied to how many um, groups, book groups and book clubs he's, he participated in at his employer reading books like white fragility So if he wanted to get his full bonus structure, he had to participate in these um, kind of woke activities. And everyone, again, it's different variables for everyone. I think our teachers, our public school teachers are getting really hit hard. And a lot of them are being asked to engage in allyship statements and making personal declarations. And many of them are leaving education because they're like, I just can't do this. It violates my religion. So um, I think that we're going to have to think about creating culture with one another and and local churches might have to have financial provisions for families as they're transitioning between jobs. If they, if they don't feel like they can participate in their job anymore because it starts to violate their conscience, we might have to start co-ops in our churches so that people don't have to go to public schools. We're just going to have to think about each of our, individual situations and what we can do corporately as local church bodies to come together and create community. But we're going to have to have these conversations with our kids about being a religious minority and that persecution could be ahead for them. Uh, And, and what we as a family will stand for because whatever you teach your children to stand for is what they will teach their children to stand for. So you have to parent with your grandchildren in mind. What kind of home do you want your children to create? And so it's we really have to think about a multigenerational strategy. And so when I've engaged in conversations with Christians who live in persecuted countries, um, you know they understand that they are not trying to be liked by their culture. I think many Christians are still sort of in love with wanting to be liked by the culture. But when I hear the wisdom of Christians who have survived, like, like my Egyptian friends, they they've lived as a persecuted people for over a thousand years. Well, what that, that, that's some wisdom we need to tap into. How have they thrived? Well, they've built communities. They've built their own schools. They've, they've, they, they, they know how to take care of each other. And so We're going to have to think multi-generationally. We're going to have to think um, more long-term and we're going to have to care less about being liked by the culture. It says in Romans chapter eight, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. This is our identity. This is what we've been talking about tonight. We are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ And if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We in America do not really, we're not connected to sufferings. But this is the normative pattern of what it has meant to be a Christian. So we're going to have to start educating our children from that mindset. So that when we see the great vision in Revelation chapter 12, when our children gather with us around the throne, it will be said of them, they triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink to death. This has to be the mindset that we are bringing to our children to understand that we are not above suffering. You know, we're we're okay. if If, I, if dad loses his job, the Lord will provide. If we need to do something different for education. We're going to try to either activate our community and make reforms in the public school, or we're going to work in our church community to create co-ops, whatever we got to do to disciple our kids. We're going to do that. And we're going to trust the Lord. Here's the bottom line. We want to disciple our kids as if their future depends on them, not fitting in with the culture not fitting in. This is the mindset that we're going to have to build in them as we contend for the faith. And above all, we want to pray because you can do all of these things and still your kids can struggle and you can teach your kids all of these things and still your kids can stray. This is just part of, human nature and kids have their own free will and they can make decisions that are crushingly hurtful to us as christian parents so i don't want to at all suggest that this is just a methodology it's just an abc kind of pattern but we can get a, a, a plan in place we can do some things to help build that culture in our homes But above everything else, we want to be praying for our children, praying for them every day as parents, and um, setting aside that time to really trust the Lord to work in our children's lives. All right. I hope this has helped you. I am looking forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks. Uh, I have a very special interview uh, for you that I'm very excited about, and I can't wait to bring it to you. I'm going to announce it probably next week. So Thank you so much for watching, and please share this stream with a friend that you think it will be helpful to, maybe share it with your pastor. Good night, and God bless. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook, and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.